Congratulations on your completion of the Prometheus Science Training School. But before we let you go up into space to do science, you must complete this refresher course. Let's start with the basics. What do you do when you see strange alien goo? Oh, uh, touch it. Good, Phillips. Why, everybody? Because goo is good without the D. Gold star for Phillips. Uh, but sir, do I touch it with or without the gloves? Negative gold star for Phillips. Come on, guys. What else do we say about goo? When you touch goo... You shouldn't have gloves on you. Now, what do we do when we find an alien species? Oh, I know. Call for backup. No! Damn it! You put your face next to it. Your face. Come on, guys. This is easy stuff. What's rule number one? Don't wait. Investigate. To me, that still sounds like a bad idea, sir. Uh, to me, this sounds like someone wants space detention. No, sir. Now, if you do think the alien is a hostile species, poke it, and you will find out very quickly. Okay, pop quiz time. Phillips, tell me what you know about robots. Uh, they have no feelings. They want to be human. Uh, they're obsessed with Lawrence of Arabia. They have no insurance, and you can't trust them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back it up there, pal. You're right about the insurance thing. But robots are our friends. We trust our friends. Thank you. I don't know, my sister was on the ship, the SS Crappy Ending, and there was this robot that was totally working for this evil corporation the entire time, and he had this hidden agenda. Let me stop you there, Johnson. Okay, first of all, you just got a check mark by your name. And secondly, did you attend robot sensitivity training? Yes, sir. But you're gonna do it again. Oh, man. All right, I'm gonna open it up for questions. Let's do <clears throat> Do we really sleep for two years on the way to the planet? Yes. Are you okay? We have the internet up there? No, it's two years away from Earth. You know, I figure if it's two years away, I'm going to have two years worth of emails, and I'd like the internet. What if I forget my iPod? Can I have that mailed to me? What if I leave the iron plugged in? Why do we have to wear these gauze underpants? Will I have a beard when I wake up? Will I have a beard when I wake up? Can we just focus on the important matters? Okay, what if we encounter a face hugger? Ah, you're talking about those difficult-to-delete Facebook friends. Well, you just block them. And I know it might be socially uncomfortable the next time you see that friend, but trust me. No, I'm talking about the aliens that impregnate your face. Oh, you mean face fuckers. That's different. Just don't let him f*** your face. How do I do that? Just tell him no. What, are you stupid? You just told me to put my face next to an alien. Yeah, but you don't lead it on with a sexy face like you're doing right now. I can't help it if I have a sexy face. I'm sorry, sir. This whole thing just doesn't sound very smart to me. Two check marks. Let me ask you something, Johnson. Why'd you go into science if you didn't want to poke aliens? Get up here. It's time for a simple demonstration. Touch this snake. I, it looks pretty pissed off, sir. Remember, when in doubt, check, check it out. out. I always forget that rhyme. It's okay. Like I always say... If you remember the seven rhymes, everything will turn out great. Okay. Okay. Ow! Come on, nice job. Now you have snake sensitivity training. Sir, it does seem very possible that we could get infected by an alien species. What do we do if that happens? You alert the nearest team leader and he or she will set you on fire. But if you're not sure, please keep it to yourself. We are very busy on these missions, okay? And we don't have time to address every single severe illness that might be an alien infection, okay? Stone, you had a question? No, never mind. You answered already. Sir, I have another question. I know the aliens have two mouths, but do they also have two buttholes? That is a great question. Two gold stars. Because I don't even know the answer. But I'm going to tell you something. We're going to get to the bottom of that one. <laughs> Who has the list? Put that one on the list. Stone, quit playing with your calamari lunch there and put that on the list. Stone, why is your calamari seven feet tall now? Come on. I'm tired of being thankful for scraps. Still, they want us to love them anyway. One day, somebody's going to have to make a stand. One day, 
Somebody's going to have to say enough. You get your ass to work and save my country from these cock-sucking Republicans. I don't care what the unemployment rate's going to be. It doesn't matter to me. My campaign doesn't hinge on unemployment rates and growth rates. How am I supposed to explain to my child that two men are getting married? I don't know. If you're shitty kid, you fucking tell him. Why is that anyone else's problem? Two guys are in love, but they can't get married because you don't want to talk to your ugly child for fucking five minutes? Are you serious? It's so fucking stupid, isn't it? The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Try and work together. Heaven is just another lie. And if you believe it, you're an idiot. Hey, everybody. Uh, here is the spoiler-filled Prometheus talk at the end of the show. Uh, I've been sick for the last two days uh, since we recorded, so um, I'll try my best not to cough right into the microphone. Not that that would get any of you sick, but that would be really annoying. So uh, I got questions here from Jay, and there's a bunch, so it'll probably cover any questions that anybody else has too, and then we have a voicemail from Angie, so I'll play that after. Um so let's start with this. Hey, Chris, my questions and or criticisms. Why did they take off their helmets? This would surely violate all quarantine rules and common sense. These are not dumb space truckers. They are scientists funded by a super wealthy corporation. Um, true. That is true. Um, I thought about it this way. Either they decided, okay, we will save our canned oxygen and... Um, you know, breathe an atmosphere that we can breathe, or they, or the one guy that took his helmet off first and didn't immediately die, um, really didn't like wearing his helmet and wanted to be the first person to breathe on a non-terraformed planet, or uh, it's just movie space hand, uh, you know, breathable means safe. I just took it as a way that, you know, the actors are able to interact with what's going on a little bit better around them. Um, and since we know it's in, it's, it's in the alien universe, taking the helmets off, um, you know, shows that they're vulnerable. So vulnerability as well. How about that? Um, I don't know if any of these answers are going to be satisfying, but this is what I got out of it off of one viewing. Um, and it's why I didn't have questions like this. Um, cause I just assume these things. Um, now question the second, where did the maggots, uh, worms come from tracked in on the bottom of a boot? No, I don't think so. Are they natives of LV 223 or are they from earth? Um, they showed them coming up through the ground and we all learned in Dune, if you've seen that, that worms are attracted to vibration. So I think the first vibration in 2000 years would attract them to the surface. So that's what I initially thought. Uh, a quick shot or two explaining this would have been nice. And don't get me started by saying they're from Earth. No, if they were from Earth, that would be absolutely idiotic. Um, next question, why does Fifield show up as some gooey-faced super mutant? Now, this is where it gets interesting. In talking with James, um, I remembered more things as I went on. 
Um, we have the room full of vases, the uh, the canisters of the bioweapon room, as some people speculate, but I'll get into that later because I don't agree with it. Um, <clears throat> there's the black reactive substance that's around and leaking out of the vases. There's also the goo that David finds while he's trying to open doors that's almost kind of like a like a like a conduit like really primitive rock touch screens in a way um and then there's the four green bottles that are suspended in that black goo that are inside the vases and inside those bottles is a, what i assumed a completely different substance um david made a a point to uh, to say out loud that the vases had started sweating when they opened the door so my initial thought is whatever was cooling those things uh, broke. So in my <clears throat> in my head, sorry, I initially thought that the black stuff leaking out was kind of like Freon, uh, a toxic chemical, not necessarily a weapon, but still bad for you. Um, and given that these guys are 40, 50% taller than us and in prime physical condition and they look like us, they've been around for a very, very, very long time. Uh, probably millions of years, or maybe billions, and they, billions is too much, and they, um, they've perfected whatever it is they're working on, except, you know, if they sit unused for thousands of years, but it's, it's going to be something that we have no idea of, and whatever, that's fine. So, um... Fifield took a face full of that black goo after he got sprayed with acid from the giant penis worm uh, because when it was folded up, the hammerpeed looks like a big old dick, and Giger would have been proud of that, I think. Um, so it started to change him like it changed the worms into something um, aggressive. Um, I had read... Some people suggesting that, and this, I thought this was a little, it was a little uh, too esoteric or abstract that it, it brings out all of the evilness, and I know evilness isn't a word, all of the, the bad things, the aggressive side, um, but I don't know, that's a little too abstract for me. I think it just um, creates predators um, and and does something to the brain. Now, according to the Art of book, which I'm not using as a reason, but um, Fifield was supposed to be a transitional creature between humans, engineers, and what we see at the very end, which in the book is labeled the Deacon. Um, but they toned it down because they wanted more of his facial performance to come through, which then leads to the confusion in what the fuck is he supposed to be. But the back of his head was supposed to go off a little further. So it kind of seems like engineers and humans are destined to evolve into this, um, as Ash described them, like soulless, remorseless killing machines. Um, <clears throat> so, and, and to give Vickers something to burn, I guess. Uh, just so we can question whether or not she's an android. Which I don't think she was. Anyway, why are the engineers hostile to humans? How can we assume anything about their motives? Well, we can't. We can't assume a thing. Um, and we can't assume anything about them. Um, and the question after is uh, going to be directly related, so I'll mention it. 
Um, the engineers are hostile to humans, I think, because we showed up someplace that we weren't supposed to be and woke the dude up. And then who knows what David said to him? David said something. He's been learning languages. He thinks he can talk to a race that no one's ever heard the language of before. And he says something to them. He, the engineer says something back. And then he goes ape shit and kills everybody except for Shaw. Um, my thought is if they're going to drop a dude off and he creates all life, there's there's a ritual or a ceremony there. And we can we can ascribe uh whatever meaning to that that we want that you know he's he's giving his life to seed the planet, but we also don't know anything at all about the race. We don't know how they view each other. Is life sacred to them? Is is this what they are born to do? Uh, we don't know. So he could wake up, and we don't even know how they view us. Uh, we could be an oddity that we evolved to the point that we did. Um, and we're, we're, it's not even clear if the engineer in the beginning of the movie is is on Earth. Um, but you can definitely see um, a difference in in their technology or at least their mode of transportation because they have a giant flying saucer instead of a horseshoe-shaped ship. Um, so I think, to answer the other part of the question, I think they're hostile because we woke them up, because we were never supposed to be there, and because it's kind of like being woken up by a mosquito, you don't give a shit how it got there. You don't care. You, you, all you care about is how many there are and stopping them from bothering you. That's that's what I think. We, we're beneath the engineer's notice, um, like a Petri dish for a science experiment that's thrown out after you don't win the award. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So next question. Why is there an alien-like creature on the mural on the wall? That's a good question. I know the reason why they created it outside of the movie was just as a little alter to uh, Giger's work, which really wasn't that smart because um, it raises too many questions. But let me finish what, what what Jay has here. Did a human drink the goo, bang his girlfriend, pass the goo sperm into her to make a face-hugging squid thing that face-fucks an engineer to create a protozoomorph before? What the fuck is in the goo and what does it do? Some people have their heads blown up, others pass their DNA on to start life on fertile planets, and some turn into crazed herpes patients. Ice Pirate shout out. The whole goo thing is muddled and poorly defined like most things Lindelof writes. Um, I don't know. I never watched Lost, so I don't carry the baggage of Lindelof into Prometheus. Um, I watched the last episode of Lost after watching know, a handful of the series as it went on. And as I watched the end, I'm like, wow, that must have sucked to pour all your life into this episode to watch all of these. And then this is the end you get. But regardless, um, <clears throat> I looked at the goo and, and I, I saw how much um, things were exposed to it. And you have the worms. <coughs> that were exposed that basically lived in the goo and it seems like a super accelerant and it skips not skips but speeds generational um evolution so the worms had a few hours in there which end up being 
for for the exposure to the goo, I would say thousands of years worth of evolution. Um, David takes the goo from the bottle and puts one drop in Charlie's drink, and it changes him subtly internally um, at first. And then he has sex with his girlfriend, Shaw, um, because he's an idiot. Um, Fifield just gets a face of it, a face full of it, and it starts to genetically change him because that's what it does. It, it, it forces evolution, I think. Um, so let me just make sure I got all of these here. There's the black goo and the worms. It is. Okay. Um, how does the captain know that it's a weapons installation? That's a very good question because he doesn't. So we can't assume that it is, um, talking with James. Cause I did a lot of talking with James about this. Um, these pyramids, even though they have skulls on them, I mean, it's a, it's a different culture. I mean, Mexico has a celebration. They have the Day of the Dead. Everybody has skulls on there, but it's a happy time. So we can't assume that a skull is always a bad thing, even though it's directly under the dome of the xenomorph. Um, <clears throat> the captain's guessing. A bunch of people died. There's a bunch of stuff out there that is dangerous. So that's his that's his guess. Um now, I had said with James, like I had alluded to earlier, but never finished the sentence, um, we could get, we could have an alien land on our planet and walk into a greenhouse, and that could be their idea of a weapons installation. If they've never seen plants, if they don't understand how pollen works, if they live on a rocky planet and they've never seen any kind of plant, um, and it starts killing their people off from hay fever or whatever. Um, they could think that's a weapons installation. We just don't understand it, so we're going to say, hey, that's a dangerous thing. But, you know, so is bleach. We don't use that in war. Uh, let's see. My big problem with the film, what is the engineer doing in the opening of the movie? It's not said it's Earth. There's no way to know what the hell the engineer is thinking or doing. If you saw a Buddhist monk immolating himself with no context, what would you think is happening? Same goes for a samurai committing harakiri. There is no way we have a clue as to why a super advanced alien entity would drink the goo. You only have your puny human thinking. Did the Hulk write this? The screenwriters, I'm kidding, should give you some context or idea of why this happened. You could argue that it's the point of the scene you'll never know. But to make that work, you would need some serious Jodorowsky-like filmmaking and that's why this film fails in its addressing of ideas. It stops at the very beginning of the discussion and simply throws around faith. And it's like someone who strongly believes in the Bible. Just because is the end of the discussion. All the ideas are just because. The writers wanted to throw it out there. There is no attempt to connect things through a thought-provoking whole. I suppose if you are struggling with faith, religion, in the beginning of questioning this may work for you. However, I'm an arrogant atheist asshole and need something like 2001, The Holy Mountain, or even Contact or Sunshine to get me thinking about the big question. Granted, it's not fair to expect Prometheus to measure up to these classic films, but, I ask, but it asks the big question and addresses it in the most rudimentary way. <clears throat> uh, see, that's, that's the thing that I like, is that um, 
it it asks where do we come from and the people that we go see uh that Shaw expects to be her creator don't measure up to her standards and she still believes cuz she didn't get the answer she wanted so in the end what i see is that Wayland got his answer and died david got his answer and was beheaded um everybody went for a different reason I think Shaw's first reason for going would have been um, scientific curiosity, finding the answer to the riddle that she has come up with. Why did they leave these glyphs uh, for us to find? And if you see where they're looking in the beginning, they're not really left anywhere for us to find. We just happen across them, and it takes you know more than 100 years from now for her to find the last one before she takes it to Wayland. Um I I like the the mystery in the beginning. I I don't mind so much because it it leads us to the engineers later in the film. <clears throat> and because we have no idea what's going on there, their whole thing is a giant mystery as to what's going on. And I liked watching these dummies try to figure it out. And they couldn't. There's no way. They don't have enough knowledge going in. Um, but let's, let me get back here. There's a couple of links that cover most of my issues. Some are dumb, but others are good points. Yeah. There's a lot of nitpicking about this. Actually, uh, after the second link of the best questions from it, please don't dismiss all the questions with it's a movie. People always do dumb things to move the plot along. I'd let some of these slide by with no problem in a film with less aspirations like a Friday the 13th. Uh, glad you enjoyed the film. Reverend Scott, you're welcome. Jason. So we have some, and he, um, posted some questions here from the second uh from some of the links so i will address some of those or all of them actually because it won't take that long uh when holloway sees the lines on the planet that prove the alien presence why does no one suggest scoping the area out for a while even just a little fly around would have been nice i think they were just super excited and wanted to get the hell down there and see what was going on i don't know wouldn't you be super excited to see uh an alien landing strip uh, let's see. What exactly are the holograms for? I would say exposition. David starts one in the caves and another on the space jockey deck, but who are they for? They're useful for him and us, but who made them? They could be some kind of ship's log, but if so, couldn't someone have said that in one line of dialogue? I'm not, did they? I don't know. I, I assumed immediately that it was security camera footage, um, but I don't know. I don't know, it could be, you know, with the emergency going on, it's going to record it so that other engineers coming in can see what's going on and, and figure out what happened. But it only recorded engineers. It didn't record anything chasing them or anything like that. Um, when Shaw, Holloway, David, and Ford flee the caves outside, there's two go-karts and a minibus. Two get on each of the carts and no one gets on the bus, yet they all drive off at the time we assume Fifield and Milburn are there. Who's driving it? You could argue that there's a nameless crew member that stayed behind as the driver and headed off to avoid the storm slightly too early for the others to get in, but there's no proof of this. Um, yeah, that could be a cut scene. It could be uh, a goof. Um, or the fucking thing could drive itself. I don't know. It's, a, it's the future. They traveled 39 billion light years in two years. So we'll see. We'll see if there's any cut scenes. I don't have an answer for that. Once David has rescued Shaw and Holloway, Janik mentions they don't know where Fifield and Milburn 
are, but there's a map showing their positions. He uses it in the next scene, plus Janik seems pretty lackadaisical about two members of the crew being stranded on an alien planet. He practically says, lol. Um, yeah, Janik wasn't in charge, so if they're inside the pyramid, they are as safe as they can be? I don't know. Um, I think with with the map, it's... the. You could go a couple different ways. He doesn't. He's not familiar with the inside of the pyramid, so he doesn't know exactly where they are. But he can see their position. Or, and this is more likely, the CG wasn't explained well enough to the actors, and they added that stuff in and made it way more complex afterwards. I don't know. Um, Milburn, the biologist, is supposedly cowardly as he is easily convinced by Fifield to run away at the sight of a decapitated body, understandable. And later, when he hears there's a life form somewhere nearby, he says he's heading in the opposite direction. Uh, so why, when he and Fifield go into the vase chamber, does he suddenly want to make friends with the alien there? He can't even see the entire creature, so as far as he knows, it's some giant beastie with a strange proboscis. Why did they even decide to stay in the cave full of weird bubbling vases anyway? It's the exact room with the dead decapitated body outside of it that they ran away from earlier. Um, That's a good question. I asked my wife about that. I asked her if she was on an alien planet. She hasn't seen the movie. I said, and you saw a four-foot snake-like thing. Um, and you're scared out of your mind. She said, and I didn't even get to finish the sentence. And she says, uh, if I'm a biologist or anything like that, my scientific curiosity would probably override my fear. Um, this is an alien creature, a live alien creature that Milburn gets to examine. Um, and it looks relatively harmless. And even as it opens up its its hood there, it's still, you don't see the teeth, not right away. I think um, discovery is is thrilling and exhilarating and can override common sense. I don't know. Is that reaching? I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> as for staying in that room... I'm trying to think, is it the only one that they opened up that wasn't a hallway? That's the only thing I can think is that it's an actual room that they're in and not a corridor. Where And then the reason I would imagine they ran from the life form is because you hear life form, you see the size of the engineers, and you would assume, oh shit, there's a 9, 12-foot tall thing coming after me. Um I don't know. That, that's that's what I assumed out of it. So let's get to some more here. Milburn and Fifield die when no one is watching the monitors because Vickers and Janik are getting it on in her quarters, right? Right. Firstly, how come Janik didn't order someone else to watch the monitors? And secondly, even if no one was there, don't these guys have TiVo? Just rewind the feed and see what happened. We have it here in 2012. I'm guessing it's still around in 2094. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. Uh, can't argue with that. Why did Janik, the captain, and the pilot of the ship go to investigate the disappearance of Milburn and Fifield? Surely he's pretty integral to the running of the ship. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he feels personally responsible to bring them back at that point. Um, after she wakes up from being sedated by David, 
Shaw finds it pretty easy to escape from the medics and run to Vickers' quarters with no one chasing her. No one comes for the entire time she is in there. Um, yeah, doesn't she knock those two doctors out? Like, totally knocked out cold? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like, oh, okay, it's too late. She's found him, so that supersedes everything. I don't know. Uh, how exactly did they manage to reanimate the head that would be dead for several thousand years? I'm pretty sure in 77 years' time that technology isn't going to be available. Also, why did it explode? I was thinking about that, and they were talking about the black stuff on top of the head, and they thought, and I could be wrong because it's you know one viewing, but I thought they were talking about re- trying to reactivate the black spots on the head, and they up the voltage and up the voltage, and then it kind of... I thought it fed back on itself, um, and that's what caused all of that. And then if it's infected, like the engineer in the beginning, which I think we're going to have a deleted scene where we're going to see a bunch of these engineers actually are infected, like the one in the beginning, which would then make sense and connect everything, why you would get rid of a scene like that, I don't know. Um that would explain perhaps why the head exploded because uh, it did look like it was in pain. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, also, shock value? How about that? I don't know. Um, the crew are really unprofessional and lacking in protocol for such an important and well-funded mission. Perhaps these were the only people willing to sacrifice five years of their lives for a wild goose chase. True. Um, I thought, okay, well, these are just scientists. They're not astronauts. They're not military. So they're not as rigid as the crew we get on the, uh, on the Sulaco. Um, that, that's just what I figured. You got a bunch of, uh, wild cards in there. Uh, could they not have detected the oncoming storm? They could have seeing as they just arrived from space and don't they have larger versions of five field puppies they could send down to scout out the terrain first. Hell, can't they send the puppies into the caves from the safety of the ship? There could have been aliens just waiting inside the cave for them. That's true. But then we get into the argument of, well, couldn't the Imperial in the beginning of Star Wars just have destroyed the escape pod? Um, I think it's a necessary act to further the story along. Otherwise, there's no story. Um, Because you need need somebody to slip up. But then also... The the act of walking in there and discovering it on your own before you can see it is invaluable to a scientist, I would imagine. Uh, just to say, I was the first. Like, I was the first one to fuck my girlfriend on a foreign planet and infect her with a gigantic sperm monster. Um, let's see. You can't run around after having your body cut open to your uterus, even if the wound was closed with some stitches. Your body goes into complete shock. The stitches cannot make up for the fact that tissue was cut and muscles were cut which are essential for your core and by extension for your body to perform any kind of walking movement. I've argued this with James that she would be able to move if she had enough sedative, um, but the running, I've thought about it. All you need is one one CG shot of nanobots being injected into the cut to um, reconstitute the tissue, and it might ache and hurt, but at least the tissue would be complete. So let's hope for that fix in a director's cut so i have to concede that point to jay and james uh why was the medical machine only male calibrated 
okay, it was probably there to operate on Wayland, but it makes little sense to make machinery just for men or women. That is true. That last sentence is true. But it was calibrated for men so that we had a clue that Wayland was on board. Like all the conversations David had with him, <coughs> um, being told to try harder and all that stuff. Um, it was all leading to the revelation that Wayland was on board. Uh, and how did the engineer survive the toxic LV-223 atmosphere without a helmet when he attacked Shaw at the end? He must have needed the helmet to breathe, yet made it from the crash ship to Vickers' crashed pod pretty easily. Well, there's a scientific reason and a movie reason that we could go with. The scientific reason is that the percentage of carbon dioxide will not kill you in two minutes. That was as blatant a mistake as Vickers say they were half a billion light years from Earth, when in fact they were 39.5 billion light years away from Earth at uh, Zeta 2 Reticuli. Um, there's, there's some bad science in this movie. Um, the other thing is the dude has a bigger lung capacity. Grant that he has a bigger body, but maybe he just held his breath and ran. I don't know. Um, we don't know enough about the engineers. Definitely. Um, so that, that's, that's what I got there. (laughs) Um, I enjoy talking about the movie more than uh, many other movies I've seen um, in a long time. It leaves a lot open. Um, There's a thread on IMDb. uh, Let me see if I can call it up here. That is what had led me to the statement that there are a lot of ignorant motherfuckers out there that can't, that don't know how to watch a movie anymore. Um, Not the people I've been discussing it with on Facebook. None of you guys, just these idiots here. And I hope you're not in this conversation. If you hated this movie, tell me what was wrong with it. Um, that is the, there's four pages of stuff in here. Um, the word plot hole is thrown around so incorrectly that it's just, it's just disgusting. Um, let me see if I can find. Here's one. Here's one giant fucking idiot. And uh, his screen name is Transformers Dealer. Um, there were a bunch of errors. Like at the end when the spaceship crashed, the engineer should have died in the chair so he could have been found by the humans and alien. The chair would have been empty, so there's an inconsistency there. You're a moron. Also, why did David poison Holloway? I understand that he was helping and working for Wayland, but what other initiative was there? Boy, it wasn't explored at all. It was. You didn't pay attention. It seemed like he was trying to get Dr. Shaw into the cryostasis so they could capture the alien being that was inside her rather than save her, which is typical of the alien theme, but that's not what it was. But why? And how did David know so much about the engineer's complex and that there were more ships, et cetera, et cetera, because you saw more fucking pyramids as you went in? Um, Why did the geologist come back as some powerful freak monster when the disease slash life forms just killed every human and engineer? Uh, Okay. 
So that's the kind of stuff that, that sets me off that makes me say, well, you shouldn't have been texting while you were doing that. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about David's motives, and I want to throw out my idea for uh, why David seems to uh, change allegiances so often, which he really doesn't. Um, to start off, he has two initiatives. He has two missions. One is to assist the crew and help them out, and the other is to find a way to prolong Wayland's life. Now, like normal people, he has many different interests, uh, playing basketball, riding the bike, watching Lawrence of Arabia, a little, little nod to Wally, I think, is what we had there. Um, so David watches Shaw's dreams, I think, because he's fascinated. He has no soul, so he knows when he dies he won't go to heaven if there is one. And I think that's why he's so fascinated with her and why he messes with her, taking away her cross, talking to her about religion, and 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 just saying things here and there. Um, now, while that's going on, he's there to facilitate the mission, to help the crew, to get everything going. But his ultimate goal is his own private mission, which is to prolong Wayland's life or make him immortal. So he takes a vase, he takes it back to the ship. There was there was there was nothing found, you know. The, Im- immediately that explains what the engineers do. He has the conversation with Wayland through his uh, 1980s Captain Power helmet, and he's told Vickers confronts him, and he's told that he has to try harder. So he does what he figures is the quickest, easiest thing to do, and infects the most useless crew member that's left, Charlie. So I don't think David had any idea what would come out of it. I think he watched him and he saw and I think I think something Charlie said kind of like egged him on a little bit, but I don't think it was done out of spite or vengeance. I think it just helped cement his belief in what was going on that, you know, we we go to this planet, we find out from the engineer that they made us because we could basically they 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 could do it so they did it and that's that's what that's what charlie says to david we made you because we could nobody wants to hear that we all want to have a higher purpose we want to feel like we are important in the galaxy we're not we want to feel like our existence means something and it doesn't and it would be heartbreaking to find Something that answered that and the engineer killing everybody just for waking him up and being there, I think, is is answer enough. Um, But once Wayland uh, gets the shit kicked out of him by the giant albino, um, David has no master. Vickers dies and he would she would be the next closest one i think she is the one that David was was referring to when he says don't all children want to kill their parents. I think Vickers wanted to see her father dead so she could take over the company. Um, Just my own personal extrapolation of what's going on, because I don't think David had it in him to kill anyone outright, Um, maybe to cause it to happen, but there was no malicious intent. There was just the ends justifies the means, maybe. I don't know. Um, 
So once once they're dead, he's free to do whatever he wants, even though he's just a head in a bag and the body. She did take the body. So I think I would imagine, and I'm just, you know, I, I had said I won't say any that'll be covered in the next movie, but since it's left like this, I can say David has to be able to tell her how to reattach his head to his body. I mean, that's he must have those schematics and the ability to fix himself. Um, one other thought that I had is uh, we get at the end of the movie this proto-xenomorph that they called the deacon with a big pointy head instead of a round phallic head in the back. Um, but it's born out of the engineer from the gigantic squid face hugger that comes from the giant mutant sperm that came from Charlie into Shaw because it's super evolved and it grows. And <coughs> I'm actually surprised how many people missed that as it's hanging there, it looks like a giant and large sperm cell, given all of the sexual uh, sim- symbolism in the alien movies. This one was dead on. Um this thing is all smooth and it has a jaw kind of like a goblin shark, but it kind of looks like a queen and it, and it, and it's on the planet. It's on LV 223, which is a sister moon to LV 426, which orbits the same planet near the same star system. So I think what we have going on is parallel races of, of aliens, um, or, or they're going to end up going back to LV 223. And I would love to see, one of these deacon um, proto-xenomorphs infect David, and that's how you get your biomechanical-looking alien. I don't know if that makes sense. Probably doesn't. But David does have some kind of fluid inside of him. that susta- If his hair grows, he must have real skin. So there's got to be some kind of protein or something inside of him, like that milky substance they have for blood. Um, and why does David's hair grow? Because he was dyeing his roots and just his roots. So his hair has to grow, which is weird. Anyway, so Dustin writes, um, I have no idea how this will be shared like like this. I'll go back in and re-record it because it got sent after. I had finished recording the segment, so I'm going to add this in at some point and make it sound totally natural except for this explanation. Um, I typed this after seeing Chris mention that he might do the Prometheus talk as a separate segment. I remember talking about how much I hate that ancient alien show as an analogy for something in an OTC voicemail. Chris kind of laughed and said, what is it with him and aliens? I think I was just fucking around. Um, I'm sure he expected something like this, so I hope he'll humor me a little more. This is pretty big and unwieldy, and its sheer length is more to make clear that this level of bitching about the logic of a movie is rare for me. <coughs> Okay, the point I'm going to make, and it's most basic, is that you have to let stuff go in movies. Agreed. You can't bust through a plate glass window without shredding yourself. Forget trying to shoot two guns in one hand. And if you let let it go, if a plot requires me not knowing a real-world fact for it to work... Oh, if it requires... Yeah, I emphasized that whole sentence completely wrong. But you get the point. But Prometheus requires me to know nothing... And it is clear that the makers are also ignorant. Huh? Give you a little bit of that, yeah. On a macro scale, I can get behind the chainsaw hand and shooting a boomstick with the other because Sam Raimi isn't trying to fool me. If it was clear he actually thought this was plausible, I would roll my eyes. I will start out by saying that I don't demand scientific accuracy, just common sense and no outright stupidity. 
And reading quotes from Damon Lindelof and Ridley Scott, I think the stupid parts in Prometheus come from ignorant, not artistic license. To draw a line as to what I do and don't have a problem with. The engineer-human DNA match. That's something I don't think we've brought up yet. If engineers have marble white skin, no hair, and grow to eight plus feet tall, then they wouldn't have identical DNA. <clears throat> um, okay, let me just go on here. But for the purposes of expediency, I let it go. That scene wouldn't have worked as well if Shaw pointed out that their DNA was 99.8% identical or so on. See, I think that if if they, I don't know, if we are ancestors of theirs, I mean, if you look back in time, people were shorter. Uh, even today, we have people with different facial features. Um, we have albinos. We have um, dark-skinned people. There's variation in how we look. Um and we've we've we're getting taller as a race as we go on. I don't know, but yeah, the exact match was a little weird because um, if you see the Earth, there's dinosaurs, then people with the clear division line in there. Um, <clears throat> oh wait, unless they already came and destroyed everything, and dinosaurs were a prototype bioweapon. Just throwing that out there. Um, and then they started over again with man. Just saying. Uh, and let me point out the, 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 the back to the letter. The Death Star's weakness in Star Wars didn't bother me either because they didn't use that to preach about the folly of man's arrogance. Although you could actually make an argument for that if you were one of those fans. Uh, contrast that to, to Jurassic Park which we had Ellie Sadler telling John Hammond his control was an illusion and the idiotic Malcolm character blathering on about chaos theory and the nature finding when all the problems um, nature finding a way when all the problems in the movie were because of a shitty security system and glaring mistakes remember the part about keeping all the dinosaurs female but the scientists didn't see any wrong with filling the gaps of DNA from frogs that can spontaneously change sex yeah they thought that through really well um, so now we come to the quotes that, to me, were very telling as to the thought process of the movie. Damon Lindelof is quoted as saying, So the idea behind Prometheus was, if we as human beings in the future got a clue or an indication of our origins, and then we had the coordinates, we actually had directions to go and basically meet our makers, what kind of people would go there? Reckless, crazy people, I think. Uh, that's no. uh, What would they hope to achieve? The, the answer. The Douglas Adams answer, right? And then, of course, what happens when we get there? Well, Bane wakes up out of his cryotube and beats the crap out of everybody like they're Batman. Because science fiction is really just the cautionary tale writ large. The fundamental law of nature is to not know too much about yourself. So God forbid we fly too close to that flame, we are going to get burned. And Dustin responds, fuck you, Damon Lindelof. <laughs> the advances in medical sciences that allowed me to survive a premature infancy were because doctors wanted to know about the human body. Exactly. I think... Um, I think what, he, what Lindelof is saying wasn't explained well enough because he says the fundamental law of nature not you know science or knowledge 
is not knowing too much about yourself, but through research and experimentation, we can figure out pretty much anything we want to know. Uh, Ridley Scott then says the space journey metaphorically is about a challenge to the gods, Scott said. But Scott's ambition with Prometheus go far beyond simply restarting a hit franchise. The British director said the film's storyline and script by Lindelof was partially inspired by the writings of legendary Swiss sci-fi writer Eric Van Daniken. Van Daniken, author of 1968 bestseller Chariot of the Gods, is best known as the first proponent of the so-called ancient astronaut theory, which holds that aliens kick-started civilization on Earth. NASA and the Vatican agree that it is almost mathematically impossible that we can be where we are today without there being a little help along the way, Scott said. That's what we're looking at in the film and some of Eric Van Daniken's ideas of how did humans come about. Uh, NASA and the Vatican, Dustin says, what the flying fuck? I'm willing to call bull- to bet this is a bullshit quote. Um, <clears throat> I think... Ridley's not remembering it correctly. I think what we have here is, um, and I could be wrong. I only did, you know, rudimentary research on this. But um, I know that the NASA astronomer, uh, I mean, the Vatican astronomer and NASA both agree that it's statistically impossible that we are the only planet with life on it. That may be what he's thinking. The other thing, not so much. Uh, so to sum up, you made a poorly researched movie with stupid characters, Ridley Scott, and it's very clear that you believe the ancient astronaut shit, the proponents of whom have such disregard for science and academia that the sheer stupidity of the scientist characters in your movie annoys me more than it would have. Maybe you shouldn't take anything outside of a movie with you when you go in it, but this was too much. In slasher movies, most of the time, characters aren't even aware that they're in danger until the last act, and fucking, drinking, and smoking pot are hardly capital offenses. But I wanted these whiny fuckers to die. They live in a spacefaring society. They were such dicks about being part of what could be the biggest moment in human history. Hey, Mr. Buzzcut Archaeologist guy, the atmosphere might be breathable, but have you ever heard of contagion? And an atmosphere with 3% carbon dioxide is still breathable. Told ya. Yeah, thank you for uh, confirming that for me. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but, I mean, in movie shorthand, breathable does mean safe. I'm willing to give him that one part. And on that note, I checked some science and skeptic blogs and forums, and I couldn't find a single defense of how the scientist characters were written. All opinions on the matter were sheer derision. Not to resort to an argument ad populum, but I think this is worth noting at least it shows if you if I have a stick up my ass, I'm not alone. <laughs> you know how satisfying it is when a character does his job well? Even if the character is a villain, you can't help but admire a well-laid plan. Prometheus is the equivalent of cops in a movie being unable to catch a murderer who doesn't wear gloves, leaves DNA at the scene, and has a known connection to the victim and a clear motive. I am not a scientist. I just don't understand how you can work so hard on the visuals of a sci-fi movie and not get a single fact right. And that's no exaggeration. They were 200 trillion miles away, not half a billion to start with. Back to the point of this being a spacefaring society. I'm more upset that Scott was clearly so uninterested in any real science. I just can't fathom making an outer space movie and having that attitude. Black holes are actually objects, not holes, only a few miles across. That's awesome. See what I mean? Um, 
I, I, I want to point out that one theory that I had is that Vickers cares so little for everything going on. She's such a company person that she doesn't give a shit if she's right or wrong about how far away they are from Earth. That's not anywhere near anything she needs to know. But that, again, is left up for um, a commentary that I probably i am not going to agree with because I'm going to put my own meaning on this film anyway. Um, <laughs> but don't think I am just griping about the science. I am just pointing out how, how learning of Scott's ignorance informs other problems within the movie. Another illustration of this, I find it somewhat disappointing that after a billion years going by the opening scene, the why I'm expecting Scott to get this right, I have no idea, the engineers are visually identical. Even the monolith aliens in 2001 evolved to a point where they no longer needed bodies. No, we never saw this. But the ancient astronaut bullshit demanded that they stay the same over a billion years. Or, or we could go with it was 5,000 years ago, and um, they live incredibly long. Again, we don't know enough about them, but we take in what we know about, you know, what we've learned about life forms on Earth. Um but I will defend running in a straight line from a ship. They were panicking, for fuck's sake. Okay. Getting off that subject, and here's something that I meant to bring up when I did the original recording, but I didn't. Fastbender was awesome. Idris Elba was great in the Alien series tradition of depicting the blue-collar side of space travel. I actually like the way the engineer's space jockey fit into the plot, though it seems like it was only a quick revision that changed this from an Alien prequel to an in-universe film. So you've read this whole thing. Uh, as Ash would say, you have my sympathies. Thank you for writing in. And um, yeah, I, there's a lot of bad science in this. At least Ghostbusters made the science up around it and all the pseudo jargon, pseudoscience words they came up with um, sounded right. Here, it's like it's it's space travel. You kind of fuck that up. So... Yeah, there's one thing you, you can't let go, but whatever, right? All right, moving on. Let's move on, and I will play Angie's um, voicemail here. Hi, it's Angie from Chicago. I uh, thought I would just give a quick kind of thought to the uh, Prometheus movie. Um, I'm not going to go into symbolism and things of that nature because I do want to see it again, and I haven't yet. I'm trying to get a, a huge group of people to go with me, and uh, so far I do have people on board. We just haven't had time to go yet with work and school and whatnot. So um, basically a, a quick history in regards to me and the uh, Alien Legacy. Um, I did not actually discover Alien and watch Alien until about 10 years ago. And at that point in time, I was really sick. And one of my friends who was a, um, a tech and traveled, I said, you know what? I called him up and I said, you know what? I'm sick in bed. I've really been hearing a lot. You know, I've, I've been wanting to see Alien. And I just have not had time to. So bring me the whole trilogy. And that time it was trilogy. Bring me the whole trilogy. I want to watch it. And he was like, okay. So he runs the trilogy over to me on DVD, what he had, and I spent the entire day watching all three while I was laid up on the couch, and they blew me away, um, the first one especially, and ever since then, I have just pretty much loved everything that has to do with with Alien. 
Um, I've got the quadrilogy on uh, DVD. I have to get it on Blu-ray yet. Um, my my one orange cat is named Jonesy. I got him about two years after I saw the movie. So so for me, Alien is a very has a very special place in my heart. And it really also kind of catapulted me into becoming more of a horror fan than I was at that time because I got into horror kind of late, so not until I was about 25 years old. So I've been playing a lot of catch-up, and Alien and Halloween, both of those films, really made me want to explore horror and exploitation even more. So I can, you know, credit those two movies with that. As for Prometheus itself, um, I did really, really enjoy the movie. I went in terrified. I was afraid of it being awful. And it, even though the reviews were, you know, pretty good, I was still terrified about it sucking. And if it did that, it was just going to break my heart. And given Ridley Scott's track record here lately, uh, um, that made me really nervous. But going in, um, I was on edge the entire time. It was a it was a great ride. It was probably one of the best um, movie going experiences I had had in a very long time. And um, I can't wait to see it again. I really can't. I and I'm I'm dying to see it again. Um, I do. I really really loved uh, Numi Rapace's performance in it. I really think that she has established herself as the next Ripley, um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of her in in this franchise, which has already been talk of a sequel. Um, just one spoiler. I know that I mentioned on my Facebook about breaking down at one point in the movie, and that's when we finally get to see the space jockey. You know, we've been, there's been numerous debate and wonder about just who the space jockey is. And to actually see one of the engineers suit up and sit in that chair and us to actually see the space jockey, I broke down. I was just bawling. It, it, it struck me that much, and it struck an emotional chord with me that much. That is how much love I have for this franchise. So, you know, and all my and my friends who were with it, who went with me, some of whom had never seen it in the Alien movies before, but still loved this film, were really quite moved by the fact that I was touched so deeply that it brought me to tears. So for someone who is never probably going to hear this, I just want to extend um, a thank you to Ridley Scott for letting the fans of this movie um, go back and see where it originated and give us the opportunity to see that. And also... You know, if there is an afterlife and if he's hearing this, Dan O'Bannon, you are greatly missed. Your credit, your your name was in the credits. We still love you. We still miss you. It's sad that you didn't get to see this day, that you didn't get to see the origins of these creatures and, you know, put your own insight into this. But if it wasn't for you, dude, we wouldn't be on this ride. So... We love you. We miss you. So, anyway, that's my initial thoughts on it. I'll probably do more in um, 
my own thoughts of the philosophical and the pseudo-religious aspect of it, which has been a huge, I've heard so much about that um, at a later time. So I will talk to you guys later. Bye. All right. Um, thank you very much. Uh, it's nice to talk with somebody that liked it. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's good to talk to everybody about this. Um, I've heard uh, rumors about some of Ridley Scott's original ideas for the script, and that's that's what made me realize that what made the first Alien great and tight and suspenseful was more than 50% was the writing. It was, it was the bare bones script that Dan O'Bannon wrote. And, um, I mean, looking at, looking at the work that Ridley Scott does, he's, he's a fantastic director. Um, but I think he's way more visual than he is story idea oriented. His, uh, his original idea was to have Jesus be an engineer. And the fact that they're pissed at us is because we crucified him. Um, I don't know about anybody else out there, but that would have turned me totally off to the movie. Um, this movie does not Prometheus. First of all, it's it's named for about a, from from a, a titan from a different religion. Anyway, um, it doesn't it doesn't um, push anyone. Well, it has it has Christianity, but the, the where we came from is a universal question, and I think to put such a fine point on which religion is right or not necessarily right, but what caused it might've played really well in certain parts of the country. But then again, it wouldn't have because they would be saying that their Messiah is an alien and that wouldn't have done very well at all, which then I probably would have liked it with the backlash. I would have liked reading about the backlash more, but keep it that they're just they just created life they're not gods they 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 have fantastic technology oh one other point the question has been brought up multiple times um why did the engineers leave a map of where they are why did they want us to come and find them um they didn't i think they were showing off i think they were explaining to the races on earth we come from out here there's no way they paused to they they stopped and waited and 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 held still with their holograms of the star system of the zeta reticuli star system and say yeah okay paint me now i'm in a good pose or why don't you carve that relief it was it was done after they left they showed the map and you can remember where five shapes are in common with each other um, I think the engineers are just showing they don't come from this planet. That's it. They weren't saying come and find us because they were supposed to be wiped out way before that. And I don't think it has anything. It shouldn't have anything to do with religion because now I know it does actually have something to do with Jesus, which kind of spoils the whole fucking thing for me. Um, but... I, I liked it before Ridley came out and said the Jesus stuff, even though it was scrapped from the script. Now it's still in my head. But I think that the engineers were just going to come and wipe us out because we were starting to become a danger. We will eventually, you know, go into space. We'll become a danger to every other race out there. Um, 
And, you know, if the engineers are asleep and we start fucking around with their stuff, we're going to create xenomorphs. That's that's what I figure is going on. That's the ultimate through line of the whole thing is that they got sloppy. They fell asleep. One dude got his head stuck in a door. There's a whole pile of them dead, which I really would have wanted to see what was through the door. They were all piled up in front of. Um, and that's it. Part of me also thinks that the um, the Giger altar inside the, uh, the pyramid, which really was a dome, um, there was a there was a control panel or or an altar DS with a with a giant what looked like a giant chunk of kryptonite on it, and I think maybe behind that door is the actual alien, but I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot left up to the imagination, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see if they make the sequel. I don't have a problem with Lindelof's writing, so. I, I went in knowing um, that Lindelof is, is iffy with fans. Ridley Scott is, uh, he's good a third of the time. And um, not to expect too much out of it. And I, I'm not even saying that I'm not a huge fan of Aliens, uh, any, of the, any of the Alien movies. I mean, my wife said to me, I think we should name uh, one of our kids Ripley. And the only thing I said was, are you serious? Seriously, that's what I said. Um, and she said, yeah. I said, okay. It wasn't even a hesitation. Just a, just a, uh, yeah, sure. Um, in 86, I was in California, and that's the first time I saw Alien. Um, the, the Alien itself, when I was younger, uh, always kind of freaked me out a little bit. And, um, I, I never wanted to watch it, so I was in California at my cousin's house, and um, Aliens was being released. And we looked at each other and said, did you see the first one? I said, no. I you. So we went and we rented it, and it was amazing. It was, it was absolutely life-changing um, because <clears throat> it, it just opened up a whole new world an expectation of uh, of of what you get out of movies, um, that kind of life changing, not life changing like oh I'm a better person now. No, I just can appreciate a really really good movie. Um, and then Aliens is good. It's definitely a good movie. It's not on par, I think, with the first one, but that's a whole argument for later. Um, I like three, four is four. So. Um, and then we got the Alien vs. Predator movies, which if I had to pick either one of them, I would take the first one over the really shitty made-for-sci-fi-channel second one. Um, Prometheus, I don't think, does a single thing to tarnish any of the other movies because the ones that are tarnished have done that to themselves. Um, I think it might be a case of too little too late or um, we have a grand scheme for this stuff and we all need to shut the fuck up and wait and see how it plays out. I watched a series a long time ago called Neon Genesis Evangelion, and it had really good character development. It had some stories that kind of were repeats of other stories in the series. Uh, you know, mo giant monster attack, robots come out, beat up the monster. Um, and the ending was so totally anticlimactic that there was an uproar from the fan base uh, in Japan. And 
he he got up there and he said, "You know what? It's not about the destination because we all know where 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 this this story's going to end up. It's going to end up with a dead space jockey in a ship and a queen laying eggs in the cargo hold of the ship or it was carrying those, but they're all standing upright and they're smaller than the ones in aliens. So it kind of makes me wonder um what happened to the alien that came out of the uh, out of the the jockey's chest and you're telling me not a single one of those eggs tipped over when the ship was crash landed or brought down in a controlled crash as Ridley Scott says i think the ship was empty he was fleeing because he uh, he was he had a, an alien inside of him <coughs> it busted out he as he was landing the ship and it laid all those eggs and waited. And the people in Alien, the crew in Alien, wasn't there long enough for the queen to realize it and find them. Or she was just laying more eggs down the giant corridor. But anyway, it's the journey, not the destination. Neon Genesis taught me a lot about what to expect out of out of movies and, and, and series. Because the, the response, the other movies that we got from him afterward... Um, out of anger from all of the death threats he got, he did absolutely everything he could to ruin everything he had set up before, killing characters in the most disgusting ways. But you just got to wait and let it see, let it play out. That's what I'm going to do, because I'm not going to... I don't get pissed about people that that don't like it or don't want to see it. But if you want to talk about it, I'm more than happy to do that. So this has been a lot longer than I expected. And uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. black goo was the black goo different than the sparkly green goo
Was the black goo always intended for use as a weapon, or was it just weird alien cum? Why did Ridley Scott let his 12-year-old son do the makeup for Wayland? How did the pre-recorded hologram old man and old man makeup know where to look at the scientists at? Why would Holloway assume that the air was okay to breathe inside the spaceship just because they detected an oxygen atmosphere? What about alien diseases and deadly microbes? I would have kept my fucking space helmet on just in case. So they bring along a biologist, and the second that they find a dead alien body, instead of being curious about it scientifically, he just wants to run away. It's been dead for 10,000 years. Before sending this biologist out on a four-year-long space mission, didn't they do some kind of psychological profile on him? The results would have showed that he was some kind of pussy. I have to take a psychological profile test when I apply for a job at Target. But then later, when that same scientist is confronted with a sketchy-looking gray alien penis, he wants to stick his face in it. That seems kind of stupid to me. What was the point of revealing Charlize Theron as Waylon's daughter? Why did Waylon want David to infect Holloway with the black goo? Did David do it on his own? Was it to find out what the black goo did to a person? Did he have a malfunction in his robot brain? Was David a secret asshole? If the black goo alters people's DNA, why did a little fish come out of Holloway's eye? Why? Did David know that Sean Holloway would have sex right after he infected him with the black goo and that she would instantly get pregnant with a squid alien somehow? Is he an expert in things that have never, ever happened? If we share the same DNA with the engineers that created us, why do other life forms on Earth not share the same DNA? The engineers landed on Earth and created life on Earth, and how come there was 65 million years of dinosaurs before us? Why would the last engineer waste his time hunting down Shaw and Charlize Theron when he could have just flew his ship away and completed his mission? How did those two guys get lost in the caves when the ship had an elaborate 3D map and were tracking their every move and they were in constant communication with the ship? Why would the Prometheus crew agree to go on a four-year mission when they're not even briefed about what the mission is until right before the mission starts? What if the mission involved a gangbang? Why did Waylon have to pretend he was dead? Why did the engineers create a star map back to a planet that was just their weapons research facility? Why did no one give a shit that Waylon was alive, and then also not give a shit when Waylon died? Wouldn't Waylon being revealed that he was alive be some sort of very obvious deceit? Why would those two dumb broads run in a line when they're trying to escape a crashing circle ship that was rolling after them? Why did the engineers want to come to Earth to kill us when they created us? Was creating us a mistake? Why was it a mistake? What was the security recordings that showed all the engineers running from something? Were they running from the black goo? Was the black goo attacking them? If they were running away from the black goo that was attacking them and trying to kill them, then why was the one guy running into the room where all the vases with the black goo was when the door closed and cut his head off? Shouldn't he have been running away from that room? Did he forget his wallet in there? Hey guys, have you seen Prometheus? What's Prometheus? That's all you get, jerks!